we're making it an explicit condition to us entering into contracts in the future that the companies must be able to demonstrate how they are reducing emissions. I think if we all did that, it's a virtuous cycle. We'll all learn from one another about how to do this effectively. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Welcome to Shaping the Future of Healthcare from Siemens Health and Ears, the podcast where we talk with renowned experts from around the world about the impact they're making on the future of medical technology. Today, Managing Board Member Christoph Sindel talks to Dame Jackie Daniel, CEO of Newcastle-Upon-Tyne Hospitals, National Health Service Foundation Trust. She's also chair of the Shelford Group, which represents the 10 largest teaching and research hospitals in the NHS, as well as a Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. Join us as they discuss the declared climate emergency, the threat that climate change imposes on the health of our global population, and what can be done to reduce the carbon footprint of healthcare. Dear Dame Jackie Daniel, it's an honor to have you here in my podcast series today and to talk about the reduction of the carbon footprint of healthcare. But before we start, may you explain your title to us. I don't talk very often to anyone with an honorary British title, Dame Jackie. Thank you for inviting me. The Dame and, and that recognition is a very British thing. And if you're a female, then it is Dame. If you're a male, then it is Sir. Yeah, it came about. I you have no idea that it is going to happen. But one day I came home from work and found a letter from the then Prime Minister asking if I had any objection to her recommending an honorary dame to the Queen. It's the Queen that grants, or the monarchy that grants the award. It didn't take any reflection from me, and, and I said, of course, I'd be delighted. It was in recognition for the time that I've spent leading healthcare organisations in the National Health Service and the work that I'd done there. Yeah, what a wonderful opportunity. You get invited to Buckingham Palace, I was joined on, on that day. It was great. I got to take my parents, who thankfully got to experience that as well with me. Oh, my God. Very lovely. It, it was. And there were a couple of other famous people. Sir Ringo Starr was receiving his title that day. And so we, we chatted quite a lot, which was wonderful. We got a few minutes before the ceremony just to have a private conversation I learned a lot. He loves, um, he's on a very strict diet regime and <laughs> eats, eats a lot of broccoli, he told me. But it was, that was wonderfully fun. It was a great day. I should say, please call me Jackie. Please do call me Jackie. Thank you very much, Jackie. I will do so. But again, it's a great honor to have you here. And I find this very exciting. And thank you for this very exciting introduction. Yeah. Today, we are seeing firsthand the threat that global climate change poses. 
also impacting public health. A recent uh, Lancet report written in collaboration with the NHS warns that climate change threatens to undermine the past 50 years of gains in public health. That's an important and alarming call to action. I think we need to create more awareness of that threat. What are the major climate change issues you see for public health in general, Jackie? I think we see repeatedly, time after time, the evidence that climate emergency is in fact also a health emergency. Across the world, I mean, just in this last 12 months alone, we've seen the dramatic effects of extreme heat waves and floods. Those in Germany this summer killing hundreds of people. In this country this summer also, we saw flash floods, some really, really traumatic flood events in London. It not only disrupted a lot of households and a lot of people's lives, but it, it actually disabled, completely disabled hospitals and closed a couple of A&E departments as well. But I think, that, you know, the climate challenge is also linked to the big, big challenge of reducing air pollution. That really concerns me in particular because it's such a huge contributor to heart disease, to, to you know, strokes and, and lung cancer. So, yeah, I think there's now, I mean, absolutely compelling evidence and consensus that, you know, there are huge global health impacts of climate change. I couldn't agree more. And we have experienced, you might notice from the press as well, similar things in Germany, unfortunately. Yeah. I have no doubts about the projections you explained to us. Yeah. I mean, there will be an increased risk of food and waterborne diseases. We know about the insect transmitted diseases like malaria, risk of undernutrition, injury disease, death, as you explained. I couldn't agree more. And um, certainly the sea level rise. This will lead to relocation of populations and will pose probably also the challenge uh, onto us that we have different regions, different challenges in this regard. So meaning also different, let's say, characteristics of healthcare systems and what is needed uh, in the respective region, right? So it's a severe issue. There is no doubt about it. Along this line, Newcastle hospitals became the first healthcare organization in the world to declare a climate emergency in 2019. Can you tell us a little about that decision and what it meant to you, Jackie? Newcastle Hospitals has quite a track record in reducing its emissions, recycling, you know, over many, many years. But around about, well, in 2019, a group of staff came to me and said, we need to do more than we're doing and we should we should take the bold step of declaring a climate emergency and obviously you know as a chief executive i thought oh, crikey i know that we're doing lots and lots of really wonderful things but this is a big bold step right so we took it to our board of directors and we had a lot of discussion and debate about where we're going to put our head above the parapet as it were and and declare a climate emergency. And we decided absolutely we were committed 100% percent to doing that. I think it was held because in our city, in the city of Newcastle, which is in the northeast of, of England, our big universities, we've got very strong university, 
we've got a very strong local government department we call it a city council and those big civic organizations in the city all declared a climate emergency together so this was quite symbolic in for our populations you know and for the world really we didn't do that alone but we were the first health organization i think it's re- really important that we do take a stand i felt as a health chief exec that we're a big part of the problem obviously we're open 24 hours a day 7 days a week all year round so our energy consumption you know just keeping the lights on and everything rolling is a big part of of our emissions and obviously there are things we can do to control those but a lot of our buildings it's going to take a lot of effort to replace our energy systems but i felt that um there was a lot that our 18,000 staff at Newcastle would want to commit to doing. So some of those smaller things in their everyday life at work, they could really make important contributions to. And, And our staff were saying to me very, very clearly, this place it's really symbiotic with with what we're doing here as a health provider. We feel very passionate for future generations that we need to be acting now. And so I I thought the right thing to do was just to take the leadership step and go with a plan that maybe wasn't perfect, maybe couldn't do everything. And, you know, maybe we couldn't get to net zero. But you know what? We would have a damn good try. And there was an awful lot I felt we could do. Yeah, super. I mean, this is obviously a bold step, as you said, but it's also very consequent given all the scientific facts we know already about the climate change. But maybe a little bit deeper, this climate emergency declaration, can you tell us a little bit more how you approached it in terms of the climate footprint? And what I understood now from you is the team got very excited. We see similar things in our business. It's really employees are getting very excited about this topic and everybody sees its importance. Can you shortly explain a little bit deeper in your area of responsibility how it is? Well, we wanted to make sure we'd got a good sort of governance and systems in place between the board of directors who had sort of said, yes, this is something we will back, to what staff were doing every day in their everyday lives and work. So we put a lot of thought into creating the right sort of executive oversight group So one of my executive team takes a lead role, makes sure that that executive oversight group meets regularly. Actually, it's meeting monthly at the moment. That really drives, provides a bit of an engine room to drive the work plans and make sure there's a connection between the board of directors, key decisions that we're making on investments and business plans that we need to support, and the team that's driving it at operational level. So we put in place all of that architecture to make sure that we could fulfill this ambition that we we created. And we're also, we've created a network within the whole of the Northeast region. So for the North of England, we're taking a lead in, in Newcastle. But I talked about the energy that really comes from the front line. And that's really the driving force. So we have a a director of uh, sustainability, a guy called James Dixon, who's very, very active. And he's got a small team 
But what we've done is gone out and spent a lot of time in conversation with our groups of different groups of staff. And we've now got a cohort or a group of green champions who are really connecting deeper into the organisation in different ways on different themes. So taking this work really deep and there's some fantastic examples from completely going electric on our transport systems between our hospitals and across the city to everything from groups that go out into the countryside, out onto the beaches and do cleanup jobs. We do quite a lot of planting and work of that nature. And a lot of the clinical teams are working in their specialty areas on how they reduce waste within their work. So it's really broad and really deep in terms of our approach. I mean, this is probably also the awareness amongst the population. If you declare a climate emergency, that it's not something, you know, easygoing, but it's something really very important for all of us. We have also built out now our sustainability program at Siemens Health Seniors and to us. We have also taken measures. It's very important that uh, we reduce our carbon footprint. So we have given ourselves also ambitious goals, becoming carbon neutral in 2030 and having steps down to 2025. Of course, we are happy that we can announce now that science-based target initiatives has accepted our application. So we obviously could show our plan to reduce CO2 reduction not only through certificates, but also absolute CO2 reduction to really, you know, go into many facets of this topic, like real estate, where we really want to build out factories now, being CO2 neutral, for example, using renewable energy much more. I mean, we have used it already, but we want to intensify this. And of course, business travel is a topic where you can save a lot, not only in cost, but also Everybody needs to be aware you save also CO2 if you don't travel, but using virtual elements and digitalization to communicate all over the globe. So I think there are really concrete levers, but I like very much uh, this um, climate emergency you declared, yeah, because it's really helping making this bold step, as you said. I think it's, a, it's, it's great. It does sound like there are so many similarities in our approach, even though we're coming from different points. And that measurement that you described there, I think, is so important. So we also have a five-year plan and quite detailed metrics in all, all of the areas that we're measuring. And I think capturing the data and the measurement is not always easy, but it's going to be very important to measure progress. Let's be transparent. We all learn throughout the course. It's you know not that uh, you know everything is clear now and we simply need to execute. I think it's a learning process. It's also about topics like circular economy. We might touch up on this a little bit later in this discussion, but there are also many things where you need to learn while you improve. Yeah. Jackie, the healthcare sector is responsible for four to five percent of global greenhouse gas emissions. I learned that the direct delivery of care accounts for about one quarter of the NHS greenhouse gas emissions. And 
you have made really progress in this area. Can you tell us about some of the key actions being taken from your side? Mm. And I think it is good to draw that distinction, as you have there, between the emissions we can control and those in which we can influence. But yes, you're right. So we've reduced the emissions we can control by 5% in a year in both the last two years. And these falls were driven mainly by work that we've been doing in emissions, reducing emissions from anaesthetic gases, from business travel, you've mentioned that already, from inhalers and some of the devices that are used in respiratory illness. So a couple, a couple of examples, if I, if I might. Some of our anaesthetic staff are really passionate about, about this. We've got what we call an anaesthetic fellow who works with the Royal College of Anaesthetists in, in the UK, really looking in depth at this. So they've been helping us think about how we, how we use the right anaesthetic gases. And we've had savings in about 900 tonnes of carbon this year just by making switches in the type of anaesthetic gases that we use. Now, that's a 23% reduction in a year, which is if, if every trust, if every healthcare organisation did that, that would make a really big difference in, in this country. And we had another, another lovely example a couple of weeks ago. I went up to our maternity unit where we'd helped to deliver the first baby in the UK with emission-free gas and air. Now, in other countries, this was working with a Swedish company. In Sweden, all babies are delivered using emission-free gas and air. But this was the first baby delivered using this technology in the UK. And again, you can see how, if that was universally adopted, how much reduction we would see there. Really exciting. Honestly, I wasn't aware about it. And it's interesting to learn that in the field of anesthesia is really can be a main contributor to help, right? This is super exciting. And it's an interesting angle you, you are coming from. We as, you know, mid-tech company, if I say so, we are aware of the responsibility of our responsibilities to support healthcare providers like you to reduce emissions. I mean, what we are working on is our so-called environmental portfolio. We talk probably nearly 40 energy efficient products in our case, where we save more than 20% of energy compared to previous or comparable products. So this is all, you might call it a smaller steps, But it's all coming together, right? And then I believe what you are explaining to us is impressive because it shows healthcare plays a big role and has also significant levers to really improve the CO2 footprint and help mitigating the climate change. Yeah, and I think together with, with, with companies like yours, we can really go a lot further. If we can engage in, in the use of that technology quickly at pace, we can re really together make a huge, huge difference. Which speaks also in favor of collaborations, right? I mean, this is also a very important topic to us. We need to work together with uh, customers all over the globe, and we do already. You know, some are really very specialized in energy reduction of modalities. And, you know, it's very important that we work together, as you, as you said, Jackie. The remaining three quarters, when we look into it, of the NHS greenhouse gas emissions are not direct, 
but once that it influences. You have made important progress in this area, including actions to mitigate the CO2 footprint of the supply chain. What are your key strategies for reducing the wider carbon footprint you influence, Jackie? Again, a great question. You know, we can make progress. I mean, we buy every year as an organization about 450 million pounds worth of supplies. So what we're doing is working with key suppliers, making sure that we're challenging them to tell us how they are reducing their, their emissions. And our suppliers are really keen to work with us on, on this, by the way. And we've seen some fantastic results where we've held a lot of regional workshops with different suppliers talking about and learning about how we can all contribute to this. And we're making it an explicit condition to us entering into contracts in the future that the companies must be able to demonstrate how they are reducing emissions. I think if we all did that, it's a virtuous cycle. We'll all learn from one another about how, how to do this effectively. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. So it's super to see. I was about to say we can really learn from each other as you explain it, because it's a similar uh, thing on our side. I mean, it's highly relevant, this entire supply chain, let's say, because we operate in more than 70, 75 countries. And uh, we are currently encouraging more than, let's say, the top 1,000 suppliers we are working with to reduce their, you know, CO2 footprint by less CO2 intense material usage, less emitting transportation, things like that. And to us, it's also important that we make this part of the process. So we will also in the future be very consequent with suppliers. Either they contribute to this very important and ambitious goal or we need to seek for alternatives. I think it's very important that everybody throughout the chain understands the importance of the climate change and everybody, as we discussed, can contribute. So thank you, Jackie. It's very, very interesting what you are explaining to us. Listening to you and what I know from my own experience here in the company now, obviously we all have a lot to do. Reducing healthcare footprint will require changes and innovations on many fronts and involving many partners. What do you see as the key future challenges? Is there anything that you and your team are particularly struggling with? Yeah, and I think it's important to talk about the areas that we're struggling with. And we should be talking about those equally, as well as the great work that we're doing. But, you know, my worry is, If we can't reduce more quickly our direct emissions, then we're going to really, really struggle to keep those global temperatures within the Paris Accord. And I, I think a key contributor to this, really, really important, is how we decarbonize our energy. Because our hospitals, and we've got a lot of real estate, and in Newcastle, we, we, we're a big, big healthcare provider, but they're currently heated by combined gas burning plants, you know, hugely energy inefficient. So we need government support. We need financial support to actually support that challenge within the timescales. Energy takes, you know, makes up about 90% of our direct emissions. So 
without changing the way that we heat the buildings, for example, we're going to struggle. But what I would say is that the technology now to decarbonise heat is there. It does require uh, financial backing. It's not cheap, but it is there. And, And, you know, there is the potential for hospitals like ourselves to act as hubs, if you like, for low zero or net zero networks so that, you know, we could heat potentially multiple sites across the city, for example. So we are working with our civic partners in the region to work out what the most efficient way to do that and trying to think about how we design these energy heat plants, which are far more efficient. So If we just do it in the traditional way where we refurbish small parts of the buildings step by step by step, it's like, to use a UK term, painting the fourth bridge. It it will take forever. And so we need need more radical solutions, really, um, I think, in this area. Uh, That's interesting. Uh, Brings me back to what I mentioned at the beginning. We are investing currently in a new factory here in Germany, close to the Erlangen headquarters. And it was interesting when we discussed first time the CO2 reduction, the first, let me name it, reflex was, oh, this is going to be more expensive. But it's also a life cycle cost consideration. So if you take this angle, and we did, and the team worked, we could really establish a CO2 neutral factory, believe it or not, it is not more costly than the initial plans where we didn't think about the CO2 reduction. So you can even stay within your budgeted investment. It's just looking from different angles and also considering the life cycle and can become carbon neutral. That's very interesting. I mean, on our side, I think what I find, not saying that we are struggling with it, but it's going to be a a great challenge in the next, uh, let's say, decade is the topic of circular economy, where I believe We need to go a little bit away from what I name take, make, dispose model, the linear economy. And we need to think, and it's probably a systemic thinking, how can we reutilize raw material? How can we reutilize even entire systems? I mean, we do this already, refurbish systems. An example which I find very impressive is uh, when we install a refurbished CT in a hospital, we calculated 1,400 kilograms of material can be reused. This is, let's say, nearly 80% of the overall weight of the device. And in terms of CO2 savings, we talk about, yeah, let me say around 18,000 kilograms of CO2, which equals to, we calculated this roughly 90,000 kilometers of a car journey. So it's all Again, pieces coming together. I think this is also a strategy, but it can, circular economy cannot stop at refurbishing systems. It is impacting at the end, the entire system, in our case, the company. So it will take time and it will take investment, certainly, but we can foresee that this is going to come. And I think it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. It comes probably also then with new business models. You know, where we talk about more subscription rather than purchasing always things in a new fashion. So this remains interesting, but it's also uh, complex. And uh, I would also say, Jackie, we need to work closely together on uh, such things. I could talk to you much, much longer about this topic because I'm learning a lot from you. And it's very impressive 
what you have done already and what you are about to do in the future. All of us have a role to play in mitigating global climate change. Even personal choice will make a difference here. As a leader, what are the changes you advocate and what do you expect other leaders to do differently, Jackie? Again, great question. I, I think this is a subject all leaders need to be talking about, first of all. You know, a lot of this is around awareness and education and sharing of good practice. So I will continue to do that as much as possible, not just in my organisation across the UK, but globally, because I think it's really, really important. I guess on a more personal level. I mean, I try and lead by example. I'm trying to, in as many ways as possible, reduce carbon emissions in terms of what I'm doing. So I eat a largely plant-based diet anyway. Since we um, introduced more plant-based food in our kitchens and our restaurants in the hospitals, we've had a fantastic response and people are really, really enjoying that. But, you know, thinking about modes of transport, et cetera, et cetera, I think are, are all important. And everybody really can make a contribution. And that counts. You probably know that I'm a COP ambassador this year's summit in, in Glasgow. And I'm there really to represent the NHS, the health system in this country. And it's about a continuation of this conversation, really, more widely. and continuously not to stop because for me I mean it when I say there is no health without good planetary health full stop that's a great uh, summary I I think I mean on our side and I could hear out this is the same on your side sustainability needs to be integral part of the business of the strategy of all what you do The good news on your side as well as on our side, employees are really excited about it. They want to help. They want to separate plastic. They want to collect plastic. They want to reduce CO2. So it's a broad, let's say, foundation where we can build upon. And um, this is great. For me personally, what I do is um, I'm pretty strict on garbage separation as good as It can be, but I separate plastics, batteries, electronic waste, and so on, and other things, certainly. It's about the awareness we all need to have. And we can do steps, smaller steps, larger steps. And of course, we can do also bold steps, like you have explained to us. Every contribution at the end helps. So, Dame, Jackie, Daniel, I really and sincerely want to thank you for this uh, exciting discussion with you. And I can only say I'm deeply impressed, A, about your career and B, personally, what you are driving in the field of sustainability. And I think uh, stay healthy because the world needs you in this function, in this capacity. And I look forward for further collaboration with you on this important topic. A big thank you, and it uh, was a great honor to have you in my podcast series. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. In conclusion to today's episode, there's much work to be done regarding the global climate crisis. But there are many, many ways changes can be made, both on 
personal, and industrial levels. Although there is resistance to the progress that needs to happen, massive, radical change in the immediate future is integral to preserving the strides made in global healthcare over the last century. This concludes our conversation with Dame Jackie Daniel and Dr. Christoph Sindel. A big thank you to them both for sharing their thoughts with us and a big thank you to you, our listeners. This has been another episode of Shaping the Future of Healthcare from Siemens Health and Ears. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time.